Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, Rockefeller Center, New York City, and Newsstand Studios. Not joined with uh, John. John's not here today. He's feeling a little under the weather, uh, as is uh, Quinn. Quinn's still, uh, you know, still getting better. So, you know, we'll look for them next week. But meanwhile, here rocking the panels, we got Joe Hazen. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Yeah. This is the first time I might be on camera. I'm yeah. Flip, flipping over, kind of watching myself. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Doing okay. Yeah, I think so. Getting ready uh, right after the show. I'm taking uh, Dax up to college. That's it. Then we, you know, we're not really an empty nester because Booker still lives with us. But you know what I mean. That's what they call us, right? You know, once you do that, it's like, you know, you've already rolled the dice and now you just got to see where they land, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sooner, sooner than you think, my man. Sooner than you think. Uh, in the great state, small state, best state, Connecticut, we have Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, like you're a little garbly, but uh, in like a month or something, we're going to do some uh, bull crap in L.A., right? Yeah. yeah. So, yes, can do it. What? You will do it. Okay. Anyway, so like like the odds are, I mean, assuming we're going to, you know, we're going to get the tickets and everything uh, soon, we'll announce it ahead of time. But if you are going to be in the Los Angeles area in the latter part of September, right around the last time that you have, uh, you know, to order a pre-order a uh, Spinzall uh, Generation 2 hashtag, you are cool. Fo- what is it? What is it? You you are cool. What is it? You are cool. Dot com forward slash spinzall or something. What is it? Anyway, I don't know. Uh, but if you, pre- I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. You better pre-order that sucker if you want one because we are not going to be able to build any extra ones. So it's going to be another wait if you don't do the pre-order. But anyway, right before that, Nastasi and I are going to go to Los Angeles. We're hoping that Jack's not doing one of his Mexico slash freaking uh, uh, DC trips at that time. Oh, by the way, we also have Jackie uh, Molecules it, in, yeah. in freaking Los Angeles right now. How you doing? No, I'm in D.C. Oh, geez, <laughs> Louise. Well, we're not in Los Angeles now. You know, I remember when you used to work for the Voldemort Network when we first started this show. And uh, you, you were like, I'm going to move to D.C. And I'm like, you know, why, man? Why? And then, like, you know, you keep going back. You love the D.C. You love it. I mean, you know, I'm on contract with them, so it's work. All right. Okay. But I, I have love for D.C. I'll put it that way. I have a lot of love for D.C. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, Nastasia and I are going to go out there, and we're going to do an event. And, you know, th- this is now, take this like you take the weather. But what do you say there is? You say there's like a 50% chance of McGee, Stas? No, I think like 90%. 90% chance of McGee. Yeah. So like, you know, Whoa. if you're going to wear your McGee raincoat, 90% chance of McGee at this event. So we're just putting it out there. And it will be right around your last opportunity to uh, get your order in for this Binzal Generation 2. Uh, anything else I got to push about that, Stas? No. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Since, uh, since John's not here, uh, I got to... It says right on this piece of paper. I, the way this works, folks, is that you send in questions. By the way, if you're listening live on the uh, on the Patreon, call your questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. But I have a uh, – at the top of the piece of paper that I have every week, it says in purple. I don't know why. But purple. Always purple. Promote the Patreon membership. So that's what I'm doing. Go to patreon.com forward slash cooking issues. I also just got a message from uh... – Yeah. Quickly, I just got a message from Quinn with the URL for Spinzall. Oh, what is it? And it is UR, like the letter U, the letter R, uh-huh. dot cool mm. slash Spinzall. Mm. Mm. You're dot cool slash Spinzall. Yeah, you're not cool. Your dot's cool. You're dot cool. Yeah. Do you know what I was told? Like my right. e- email address has a period in it, and I was told that actually all the computers ignore the period and that if you just type my email address without the period that it'll work, but yet I still give the period because I don't trust it, even though I tested it and it works. How dumb am I? We should send well wishes out to Quinn <laughs> yeah. for, uh, you know, for not being um, yeah. up to yeah. speed today. Yeah, so he, he, is, he is listening. He is. I, I know John is probably not he's listening. On, he's on the Discord. What's up, Quinn? Quinny Quinn is on the Discord? All right. Anyway. John's probably not listening. John's not listening. Anyway, uh, so uh, before we were on the air, 
we were talking uh, reverb, and Joe Hazen was telling me that there are rooms that you can like rent. Right. We explain it. So you have like yeah. So there's the reverb called reverb chambers. Um, I mean, there's there's here, there's some here in New York. There's obviously out in California in the Capitol Records building, in the basement where the reverb chambers are, where the actual in the studios use the reverb chambers that are in the basement to call reverb when the musician wants a particular reverb. But it's also available to any person in the United States that has an ISDN line. It's which are you know quite expensive. <clears throat> Um, um, the basically they're like latency-free phone lines, um, but they're very expensive services to have, and mostly studios have them. And if you want to use the reverb chambers over in Capitol Records, you you know you dial in or you whatever you pay for the service, and you get that reverb called back on your console. It's pretty amazing. But there are here in New York, I believe it's upstate in the old mushroom uh, caves. What are the what are the mushroom caves? What are the mushroom? Is it Del Monte or well, I don't know. Well, well, most of the mushrooms are grown in in uh, Pennsylvania, like West Kennet. Which well, what's, I, the, what's, I what's the big mushroom farm name? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know the big player. Again, most of the big mushroom players nowadays are in Pennsylvania. Seventy five percent of our mushrooms come from Pennsylvania. Well, these are the old caves where mushrooms used to grow, mm. and um, you, they turned them into reverb caverns. I like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what's the best reverb you have on the panel? I mean, I've never used it. I've always wanted to use it. it. On, on my panel? Yeah, right here? here. What do you got? What's your best oh, reverb? I have terrible reverb. Let's it's see. a digital reverb. Let's see. Um, let's see. Hold on. Let's see what we got. Are we, are Select, we, yeah. ambience, unmute. Let's mm-hmm. do a send. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot. You have to put it in and send it back and then... I have to un- send it to the main. Jeez. Oh, the mix. Mm-hmm. All right. Ready? Hello. Yep. Wait, that have, sounds pretty dry still, man. It's still very dry. Oh, where's the mix? Hold on. It's not, it's not a, oh, there you go. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It feels like, I wish, you know, I wish that like I could have gotten a job for Yonkers Raceway back in the day. I feel like I could have gotten geared up for it or like a monster truck rally. I feel like, you know, I'm no John uh, Thunderlungs Lundberg, uh, you know, who used to do the drag racing stuff, who was sampled by, uh, um, ministry back in the day, but I feel like I could have done that job. What do you think? Because I can, I can get like all jazzed for her like ridiculous things if wait, I need. Wait, to. wait, what was that? Was that Jesus was a race car driver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he was an, he was an architect previous to his career as a prophet. Yeah, <laughs> carpenter. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so what do you guys got? You got any guys got anything in the food world? Anyone? Anyone? Anything? Any food you guys have eaten recently? Joe, Jack, Nastasia, anyone? Just had a delicious meal at uh, Reveler's Hour here in D.C. Any, uh-huh. any of the D.C. area listeners, if you haven't enjoyed Reveler's Hour, it's a sister restaurant, Tail Up Goat, which is one of the Michelin-starred spots here in D.C. Tail um, Up Goat. Great. Very good. Tail Up Goat. Tail Up Goat and Reveler's Hour. Now, Those correct, are the correct me if I'm wrong, They're but a, a goat puts its tail up when it's pooping, Yes. I couldn't tell you. I mean, like, right? I mean, if I see a tail go up on an animal, I mean, not, maybe not a dog. A dog could be wagging its tail, but I'm assuming, like, a goat or a sheep, they put that tail up. I'm assuming, like, poop, poop, poop. No? Am I wrong? It, the internet says a healthy goat usually has her tail up. Oh. Uh, so no. it, just means, it just means not a sad goat, a happy goat, a, a, a healthy goat. I think so. And which hour is the Reveler's Hour, and is it harder to get a reservation during that hour? <laughs> That's a great question, and I'm not sure. Or is it any hour that you're there at the Reveler's Hour, and they really want you to get out so that they can burn and turn that table, turn and burn that table? I mean, maybe that's it. I mean, are you limited to an hour when you're there? No, right? Probably not. No, 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 no. no. Because how long were you? You were there longer than an hour. You wouldn't have said you had a great meal. Nastasia doesn't enjoy meals that are uh, shorter than, I don't know. I don't know. What's the minimum length of time you can enjoy a meal? We know it's not 22 minutes. We know that that pisses you off, Stas. What's the minimum length of time for a meal that's going to cost you $400? Uh, minimum? I don't know. Um, an hour? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and we were what? Twenty hours quick. It feels like for like a proper meal. That's that's a quick. That's a quick one. What'd we do at Jiro? Twenty two minutes. 
You're saying minimum, though, right, Dave? Yeah, minimum. What's the maximum? Yeah. At what point are you bent and you're like, get me out, get me the check, and get me the hell out of here? What's your max? Four hours is a lot. That's a lot, but you're willing to sit there. You, 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 I mean, you can do four. I mean, I, I, you know, I just. How many courses is that? It's not just the courses, it's the wine and the yakety schmackety and the, all that. Too much. A lot of, of yakety. Oh, too much, too much time in a chair. That's too much. Yeah, yeah. Too much time in a chair. Are you one of those people that when you take a, an airplane that, are you one of those people who will sit all day, all day, every day, and then as soon as you're on an airplane, you feel the need to stretch immediately? Are you one of those people? No. No, no. I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine with that. You're not one of these There's people. A, it's different. You're sitting all day, sitting at a desk, sitting in a seat on a plane. It's different than sitting at a chair at a restaurant, in my opinion. Mm. Mm. I don't know why. I don't really know what, why, but they feel different to me. Does anyone figure out why flying on an airplane messes your insides up so much in terms of, like, keeping your motor running? It, it, it always messes... It, uh, Stas, uh, Stas also doesn't enjoy it. Right, Stas? You don't enjoy that crap. Nobody enjoys that crap. I can't I stand flying. What do you say? I don't get messed up with that way. You stay, you stay regular? Yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. All right. We won't even talk about it. Uh... All right, I got some questions in. Uh, someone, I don't Wait. even know. What? What's the best way to make the candy come out of the cake? I have to make a cake that when you cut into it, the stuff falls out from the middle. Yeah. What kind of candy what? is it? Uh, <laughs> Why do you have to do that? Look, this Everyone is the problem. Find- the problem is the problem, Jack. We don't get to choose what the problem is. <laughs> it's for a birthday. <laughs> Okay, okay. What I'm trying to figure out is like what size of candy, like what are we talking about here? Like it's going to be different. M&M's. What? M&M's. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So you just need it to be rigid. So, you, okay, I would not, obviously the way to do it is you do your layers and then you cut uh, like a center out of like the center several layers. And then you just, you know, you ice around it and you plop it down. Then you fill with candy, right? So you first layer. Your, you know, middle lamella of icing, stick your, uh, your next layer on top, make sure it's nice and flat, make sure it's cold. Oh, I, I would freeze it. it. What? I was just going to cook the cake in a bowl. A bowl? What? It's got to have a Barbie popping out of it, too. A bowl? Yeah. A bowl. That's, it's got it's to have a Barbie popping out of it, too, like a dress. Oh, it is a dress. Yes, but when you cut into it, the candy comes out. Okay, they make a thing for this. You're going to have to hollow out a portion of it in order to have it have candy in it. You know this. This is obvious. If you do not wish to have a lower layer, you can either hollow out a portion of the top and then ice over it, but typically there is a layer of cake surrounding all of the candy stuff. You can either put a lower layer below the bowl-shaped thing or if you're mm-hmm. really going to be bootleg, you can scoop out the bowl, ice around the thing, and slap the cardboard on it and turn it upside down and pray. But that's real bootleg. Uh, you know, but those are like, you know, those are your, your, your options. But like, which Barbie are you going to okay. choose? Are you going to buy Weirdo Barbie? No, I bought one that looks like my friend. Hmm. Okay. All right. Have you seen the Barbie? Of course you didn't see the Barbie movie. You hate movie theaters. I saw it. Oh, you did see it. And what do you think? Uh, I had a lot of problems. Yeah? I hated it. Really? So you you guys are the only two people I know that absolutely hated the Barbie movie? We didn't say say hate. Jack said he he hated it. Uh, All right. So one person hated it and one person thought it was had problems. All right. Yeah. Okay. Wait, Jack, what do you hate about it? Everything. I don't know. It was fine. I, 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 maybe hate was a strong word. I think it just uh, did not live up to the expectations that it had. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why everybody else loves it so much. I thought it was just fine at best. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's a far cry from hate, my man. Just fine. I know. I know. Yeah. Maybe, I was, maybe I was overreacting. Okay. Oppenheimer was fantastic. Though. I did not see it because I was told if I wasn't going to see it in 70mm IMAX, don't see it at all. Although I don't know why. Is, is well, like, I, saw it in, I saw it in 70mm IMAX. There and you it go. Was, 
Well worth it. There oh, you, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, I gotta go do that. Yeah, he's like, I only, sh- I, only oh, yeah. I love IMAX. And then Dax tells me, I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> Listen, you know, it's like, uh, do you know that there? I heard on NPR there was one, there were three people I think that were uh, attested that this happened. Three people were at both bombings at Hiroshima. Survived both bombings, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That is like the worst luck ever. Can you imagine? Wow. Like, wow. yeah, worst. Wow. I didn't see the movie. Scientist? Uh, no. Like, uh, one guy um, was late because he forgot something, and so wasn't at the Mitsubishi plant in Hiroshima when uh, it got bombed, and it was completely leveled, and, you know, and he was very badly hurt, and then gets on a train to go where his family's from. His family's from Nagasaki, and then is in that bombing and ends up surviving. I mean, you know. That's, wow, that's yeah crazy. Yeah. That's uh, not not the best. Um Anyway, uh, but how did we get on this? What were we talking about? Oh, cake. cake, cake, Barbie, Barbie, cake. So is this all? So is this going to be movie based, Nastasi? It's going to be all pink. Is this going to be pinkity pink and the pink pink pinks? No, I bought a Barbie that's uh, a non-binary Barbie, and it is a cake for my non-binary friend. And yeah. I'm going to Fire Island. So yeah, but pretty, pretty much everything Barbie. in Barbie Land, no matter what you were, was pretty pink, right? Wasn't that the, their whole shtick? Or it's not about Barbie the movie; it's different. Yes, it's mm. different. It's not pink. Mm. What what color pink. is the is the outfit? Uh, like purple and silver and mm. Mm. Uh, mm. Club Kitty. Silver. Uh, have you seen the um, cartoon Metalocalypse? No. So, Metalocalypse, it's a cartoon uh, about, like, a, a death metal band uh, called, uh, what's it called? Death Clock. And uh, they have a chef, and the chef gets chummed up, and they, they sew him together wrong. He gets thrown through helicopter blades and chummed up, and they sew him back together wrong. And he makes a birthday cake, and they want the birthday cake to be metal. You said silver. I was reminding this. And so his way of making it metal is he mixes mercury in to the frosting, and then it's like... Don't sample the so- don't sample the frosting. It is mercury. You will die. And then, like you know, I forget whether it's like Prime Minister of Finland somehow eats it and gets completely like liquefied. So, are you going to use mercury as your frosting or not? No. Yeah. Well, the reason you're not is because you've well, you haven't seen Metalocalypse. So, how would you know not to use mercury? I guess it's hard to get. It would be a heavy cake too. It would be so heavy. You ever play with mercury? I have. That probably explains a lot, doesn't it? Mercury is so heavy. Like, if you've ever had, like, a vial of mercury in your hand, like a big, like, a jar of mercury in your hand, it is so heavy. No, I only got as close as a thermometer. Yeah, when I was a kid, my mom was uh, working in the ER when she was uh, an intern or a resident or something. And uh, one of the old, like, sphygmomometer blood pressure suckers, one of the big old emergency room ones— got hit, shattered, mercury everywhere all over the floor of the ER. And I, as a little kid, like, you know, like maybe nine, eight, nine, was running around. I ripped uh, I ripped the back off of, uh, you know how, like, um, legal pads have the cardboard on the back? I ripped one of those off and went around scooping up all of the mercury and throwing it into, like, urine sample tubes oh, so that wow. I could take it home. And I had it for years in, like, a urine sample tube, like, with all, like, taped up. And I would just, like, sit there and play with it every once in a while because it was awesome. Mercury is awesome. I mean, Silver Surfer? Oh, my God. Mercury is so cool. It's like uh, in the way that like liquid nitrogen is really like an amazing material like to work with. Liquid nitrogen is like so mesmerizing. Mercury also super mesmerizing. But, you know, obviously you can't let kids play with mercury anymore. This was the 70s. You could do whatever you wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no warnings on that. No. No. I don't know. Play at your own discretion. Right, right, right. I mean, I don't even think that those things still have mercury. First of all, they're all digital now. Like the idea, no one probably even has one of those. But back in the day when they were taking your blood pressure, on the wall there would be like a large glass tube full of mercury and they would put the the thing around you. You could see the mercury go up. When was the last time anyone had one of those in in a hospital? Probably when my mom broke that or it wasn't my mom. Someone else broke it. Anyway, corn. Can we talk about corn? Have any of you guys had any good corn yet this season? No, no. I had some corn last weekend. No, how was? How was? Yeah, it was delicious. It was like it was so anemic. It was so anemic. It looked like just, just 
like bad dent dental yeah teeth. And, wow. Yeah, but it was phenomenal. When you say that, you mean it was like the the uh, kernels were not fully expanded. There were there yeah there were they're like baby teeth but they're pale white and I was like this is not gonna be good corn and our friend was like oh you just wait oh man where was it from farmers market and over in Prospect Park yeah huh? all right uh, I had some from uh, a farmers market up in uh, Connecticut when I had to uh, rush up there but uh, does L A do corn well Jack or no um not the answer to that hmm. yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, I haven't noticed one way or another. I don't uh, know. Well, then you wouldn't know. Being like growing up here, you're like Jersey corn, Jersey, Jersey corn, Jersey, Jersey, Jersey corn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we know, like we're like, you know, your sweet corn, it comes from Jersey or it's like Jersey corn. All the markets, Jersey corn, right? You know what I mean? What, what, you, Stasi, you, you said no, you're not into corn. You just hasn't, hasn't come up yet. I haven't bought any yet, but growing up in LA, we grew corn and it was good. Uh, you know what? Uh, we grew, uh, well, that was, no, that was up in, uh, in, uh, Menlo Park. Yeah, we had corn. Oh, wait, we have a caller? Caller, you are on the air. Hello. Speaking of corn, I'm calling from Iowa. Wow. And, uh, I'll, du- I'll, du- I'll double down on that. And the town that I grew up in has a sweet corn festival that happens the second week of August. And I think they go through about seven tons of corn because it is the, the whole festival shtick is all you can eat corn for free. So... All you can eat corn for free. I can eat a lot of corn, especially if it's free. As, as can I. In fact, I tested myself one year, and I think I managed to get down like 12 ears of corn in my early 20s. Uh, now, are they growing the same kind of sweet corn there that we have out here on the East Coast, like Silver Queen and all that, or like, like uh, bread butter and like high, super sweet hybrids, or what are they growing over there? Like, What's the standard sweet corn in Iowa? I think the one that most people are familiar with is called peaches and cream. Ooh, I like that. And it is, I mean, you don't even got to cook it. It's just super, super sweet. You can eat it raw, super delicious. I think that's the only sort of brand name one that I'm aware of. Um, but there's a couple producers, especially around where I live, that are just kind of the good ones. There's Grimes, Grimes Sweet Corn, and then Deerdorf are kind of the two big ones. But uh, I think the, the sort of brand name was, is peaches and cream, and it's it's pretty solid um yeah huh so like uh and the thing about sweet corn is really like i mean the super sweets i know that they maintain their sweetness because they've knocked out whatever enzyme it is that like uh digest the sugar but you really want to live near where it's grown and eat it right away i mean that's why that's why i think in new york the jersey corn is because it literally just trucks in they cut it that day that morning trucks in you buy it, you eat it you know what i mean so i'm sure that like Oh, yeah. Whatever you get there that they're growing is better than whatever is shipped to us, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've we've got pickup trucks with canopies over them parked on pretty much every corner in Des Moines. And, uh, yeah, you can stop by and grab a baker's dozen for like eight bucks or something like that. And it's, I mean, definitely intrigued in trying corn from other parts of the country, but uh, I feel like I'm going to have a pretty biased opinion because I grew up around here and I'm used to the super, super sweet stuff that we have. All right, one more Ira question before I get... So, uh, how do you eat the... What, what's the name of this giant, freaking, ridiculous pork sandwich? This, like, giant pork cutlet sandwich. What is that? What's up with that? Oh, the tenderloin. The pork tenderloin. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. People like to eat uh, breaded... I mean, I think the traditional, the old school way was they would take an entire pork tenderloin and pound it out. Yeah. And then, uh, like, pound it flat, like, pretty thin. Like, this thing is, this thing is going to be probably 10 to 12 inches in diameter by the time it's all said and done. Like, it's as big as your head. Right. Uh, and, and then it gets breaded and fried, and they put it on a bun that's about a quarter of the size of the meat. Yeah. And depending on the depending on the place, you'll get pickles or, like, mustard. Um, there's some places. There's a, uh, a place here called Ted's Coney Island that does, like, a buffalo version that's got, like, hot sauce and blue cheese on it that's super good. Oh, my God. What a pastiche. Um, yeah, Wait, so it's, it's got a, it's got a, a cutlet... <laughs> On a hamburger bun called a coney with buffalo sauce on it, like you, like it's all over the map, dude. That's like you yeah, know, like that's 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 Iowa for you, dude. <laughs> but, and, and how the hell are you supposed to eat this thing? Like, like, because like to me, I don't know. With this, we, we take take a poll here. You should be able to pick a sandwich up, right? You should be able to lift a sandwich into the air. And yeah, I can't well, even. I think that- unless you're a basketball player, how are you even going to pick up the bun with with the meat like well, that? You, you know. You don't you don't pick it up like a bun. You pick it up by the by the patty itself, and you eat it. It's kind of like eating chicken fingers until you get to the 
um, until you get to the bun part, and then it turns into a sandwich. But you kind of have to like eat around it before you get to the bun part, or cut it in half is another good way to do it. And then you kind of it's an awkward grip, um, but there's a way that you can like pinch the bun together if you um, cut it in half and then split it with somebody, or something like that is another option yeah. as well. Awkward grip. That was Jack's EDM band, I think. <laughs> uh, so wait. So does this pickle stuff go all the way to the edge of the meat, and the bun just doesn't cover it, or are you eating a bunch of dry oh, ab- stuff? Absolutely not. You'll get like two little. You'll get two little. Uh, I call them pickle burgers. You know the kind of like nasty commodity ones that yeah. like McDonald's uses. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get like two or two or three of those on the whole thing. Is all that it is. So you're eating a whole bunch of dry cutlet. In, are you supposed to dip it? Like, are you supposed to, like, put stuff on it? Or are you supposed to just suck it up and eat the dry cutlet? Maybe it's not dry. Maybe it's juicy and delicious. But in general, you know, there's no sauce is what I'm saying. Yeah, it depends on the, depends on the place. I definitely think that there's room for people to add seasoning. But I, I come from 15 years of working in, like, fine dining restaurants. And so I'm, like, you know, season everything, make sure it all tastes good. Right. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. It's a lot of kind of mom-and-pop shops that do these kinds of things and would balk at the amount of salt that – uh someone like me would use. So, mm. uh, you can find, there's definitely some like legendary ones that have like ones that are really nice and juicy and tender. Um, but for the most part, you're pretty much just eating a, the giant like fried pork fritter kind of thing. And have they shifted towards panko land? Are they still using regular breadcrumbs like schnitzel style? Is it like a soft, like schnitzel thing or is it kind of harder and crunchier? I think it's more, more of the panko style. Hmm. All right. But uh, again, you'll, you'll find some of those old school holdout places that are doing like the traditional breadcrumbs or whatever. Um, yeah. You might even find some people that are doing them in, like, saltine crackers or Ritz crackers or something oh, like that. Man. Those are pretty good as well. Gilding the lily with Ritz crackers, though, am I right? I mean, delicious, oh, yeah. I'm sure. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, did you have the a, more, a question? Or are we just talking corn? And, uh, and yeah, well, yeah, well, well I, have a, I have a corn comment, by the way. Okay. Uh, kudos to you guys for the Sears All Pro. Um, ah. I kick-started kick it. Finally got around to using it. I mostly use my Sears All to char corn. Because uh, I live in a patio and I don't have a grill. Oh, nice! And uh, last week, my Searsall, original Searsall, the propane tank ran ran out in the middle of me charring some corn. So I whipped out the Searsall Pro, and it is noticeably faster, noticeably hotter. <laughs> yeah, man. Than uh, the the map gas is compared to the propane. So kudos to you guys. You're making my life easier in the. Uh, charred corn category of my life well we we appreciate Um, it we hopefully we're going to have more of those to sell at some point i think they're on the water now Stas. i don't know are they on the water yet but we only i think so it's only a small number we only have like a thousand left we're trying to figure out a a company to um make more with because uh i'd rather make those than the originals for sure i mean i think they're better right yeah right right all right, so I've got a question. Actually, I've got a big, a big question, and then maybe an easier question. Uh, we'll start with the big one. Uh, so I do uh, pop-up events. I'm like a, a chef, professional cook, mm-hmm. and somebody suggested the idea of doing a whole roasted steamship round. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the classic uh, thing that I, people used to do. The that's why they call them steamship rounds because they used to roast them for yeah. yeah. Do them, do them on the, do them on the steamships. Yeah. Um, I've, I've only ever heard of doing this. There was a country club around here that used to do them a lot uh, for like banquets and such. Um, but I have never even seen one. Um, I've done a little bit of research online, and pretty much everything says 300 degrees. Cook it to 140. Um, Ooh, I was 140. If you had any insight uh, on doing? My thoughts are, I think that like a China box would probably be the easiest and most cost-effective way because I'm going to have to buy whatever the cooking device is. Uh, it would either be a China box or a rotisserie. Right. So I'm curious if you have any insight on that, on, on which the pros and cons of any of them. Also, if you have a recommendation for a rotisserie, because I know you talk a lot about how the the, uh, the gear mechanisms suck and they have that like the part where they slide or whatever, and it's kind of um, inefficient or uh, inconsistent. Yeah, how much do they weigh? But was, um, less than 100 pounds. I think that they are 70 to 90 pounds, kind of depending on where you get it from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the nice thing about um, the problem with, I mean, look, they make the high-end rotisseries, but they're very obviously pricey, right? I've right. never and used and a, and a, a cheap one that is worth spit. Right. Another thing that is uh, important to consider is that I need it to be relatively mobile. Right. Because it's going to be at a brewery. And I'm presumably that's why I think the China box is going to be the best bet because I can take that and then do like a half a pig or a lamb or whatever I want in that, in addition to any other like large 
cuts of roast, and it's also something that uh, doesn't have a lot of uh, moving parts, and so it's relatively reliable, but it's also something that I can pack up and take with me if I need to take it somewhere on the road, you know? Yeah, I've never actually had a Kahachina, but, like, and I know people that love it, you know, uh, like Steingarten used to say how much he loved, like, a Kahachina, and, like, a lot of people really like it. I just don't have a lot of experience with it. Is this something you're going to do again and again or once? First of all, uh, 140 is real high. I well again that's and that's kind of what I that's what I would assume. Um, the thing that I'm most curious about is how you get it to cook evenly, because the thing is really thick. Like you're not you're not going to have a sous vide style tip to tip temperature, whatever right. it is your end result is. And so I feel like it's going to be like well done on the outside and then like pretty medium rare, rare in the middle, yeah. closer to the bone or whatever. And I wonder um, whether I, 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 I wonder whether like a vertical situation like a shawarma setup would be because those are that, relatively portable. That wasn't, that was another one that I thought of that would be super handy. Do they make propane versions of those that you can like use yeah. outside? Yeah, they do, and they're uh, cool. because a lot of people uh, are interested in the, the like you need a, a problem that a lot of people are interested in. So a lot of people are interested in kind of like uh, shawarma sl- slash donor slash al pastor, and so there are relatively right. inexpensive propane fired rigs that are made you know stainless and somewhat portable that aren't that much money. Can you? Can you use those for anything other than a giant tube of gyro meat or donor meat? That's, well, that's, that I'm wondering, my hold up on well, I'm wondering that. if you could do it with it, with this. You know, uh, I've never done, I mean, the only vertical stuff I've done is very fast, like Tandor. I've never done any long-term right. vertical. So, I mean, obviously, I don't, everyone, like, likes in a rotisserie the theoretical self-basting aspect of it. But I don't really know how big a deal that is because I've never done any long-term vertical um, I just do vertical grilling, not vertical like spit roasting right. or anything like this. Uh, yeah, that's that's the, that's the other difference with this is that, that you're taking a raw product instead of a gyro that's like. I, do they aren't the gyro tubes like already cooked and they're just like reheating them basically? I mean, or well, is it like raw? Originally they weren't right. So like uh, you know like originally, I mean, I, actually I don't really know. With uh, I'm assuming that the that the donor slash shawarma thing were done similarly to the way the Alpestor is where you like you're pounding them out oh, and then right. like layering them in layers and they like, you know, they eventually bond together. But they could have originally also been a big minced thing as well. I don't know, but I think a lot of people have questions of how those things are cooked safely. And I think nobody knows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was, uh, uh, that at least was, I don't that was know. something that was a giant red flag and a, and a thing that happened a couple of years ago, another, uh, a restaurateur wanted to, who, who had no experience cooking a whole cow, yeah. but he, he like bought this cow and then like had this whole setup where he was basically like open flame in the parking lot over some grill grates. And I came in a couple of days later and found the thing was like still pretty rare. Mm. And, uh, I was like, well, my immediate thought goes to this thing sitting out, uh, outside within the temperature danger zone for like 12 hours like you're gonna kill somebody if you feed that to him you know what i mean yeah i don't know so, yeah, like, that was kind of my that was kind of the other thought that i the other worry that i had about doing the rotisserie style one is that uh it's probably going to take a long time to cook i mean all of the again all the internet stuff that i found said that they take five to six hours at 300 degrees to get up to 140 so yeah 140 yeah. is 60 degrees like who cooks beef yeah in the center up to 60 unless you hate I don't know beef you know what i mean like there's there's also woefully woefully little information on doing these things i found a couple of video clips but um there's just not a lot of material about it and so uh-huh. that's where i was hoping uh you or somebody else listening would have some insight to offer with that kind of a thing because it sounds like a super fun event, right? You just, like, bake some awesome dinner rolls, and you have this giant slab of, like, roasted beef, and you're just carving off slices, putting some sauce on it, like, bada-bing, bada-boom. Well, there you go. Um, then, then you get to win, right? So as long as you put a nice crust yeah. on it, like, what do they use at Beef on Weck in, in Buffalo, I wonder? Like, we need, like, a Beef on Weck expert, right? Because they just put the, 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 the you know, they have the cool roll with the, the salt and the caraway, and some jus on right. it, and then you're good. As long as it's got the jus and stuff, exactly. I mean, nobody really can. And horseradish. I mean, God, God, I mean, right. like, horseradish, you know what I mean? I mean, God right. love horseradish, right? Um, oh, yeah. 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 The, hmm. other option, the other option now that I'm thinking about it would be that this, this place that we're planning on doing this at has a kitchen, and so maybe we just cook it in the oven in their kitchen and then bring it out for presentation purposes and 
put it on the rotisserie and spin it around and slice it off or something like that. Oh, like a, like, just... a, like a fake tisserie, like just like a, a for show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah you're, if you're going to exactly. do it for show, if you're going to do it for show, I recommend getting a like a large uh, hamster wheel. And putting a dog in it uh, and yeah. having the dog run like the old spit dogs <laughs> like they used to do back in the Middle Ages. Right. And just have – it needs to be like a little terrier-like thing, like running in the wheel and that's like turning the meat. <laughs> and then, exactly. you know, when people ask, you're like, he's been doing this for 12 hours. He's been running straight for 12 hours, <laughs> you know. And if he does he's it, like a, we beat you have him. to get a uh... – a sled dog to, to manage that, but the place has a dog park, so that could very well do, that could very well be an element that we work into the experience. There you go. Yeah, just you know, research right. spit dogs and like you know, f- you know, figure that out. And uh, you know, that's a show right there. Nobody cares how it was actually cooked. You know what I'm saying? As long as right. there's a dog oh, yeah. and a, a, a giant hamster wheel and a dog, I think you're good. Right. Yeah. All yeah. right. Awesome. Right. Well, you're let, good at this. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let us know how it goes, and uh, hopefully, anyone who's hearing this can chime in on the. Discord sure. or whatnot with some steamship round ideas, but that's always, I don't even think I've ever had it. That's just something you hear. They're like, oh, the, it's old school. Right. The alternative it's, minimum it's, internal temperatures were built for things like that, for like large roasts and steamship right. rounds, because they have to be in the danger zone longer than any number would allow it. So they literally wrote codes for it because they're like, well, everybody knows you got to cook a giant piece of meat when you're doing catering it like a boat. What you know about what I mean? a steamship round? Yeah, yeah. What, what about, about a steamship round? Exactly, exactly. And so they had yeah. to write the rules for it. And that's the way rules are written. Rules are written because somebody right. has something they want to do, so they figure it out for that. You know, they, as I've said right. many right. times, the rules aren't designed to allow you to do everything that's safe. The rules are designed to guarantee that everything you do is safe, if that makes sense, right. the difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. I got one more quick question, too. What's up? Uh, I make a lot of doubled eggs. Oh yeah, good. I have you know a tried why? And true method. You know why? Because they're delicious. That's correct. That is. Correct. And I make mine a little bit spicy because that's what deviled means, right? It's got to have a little bit of kick to it. I don't know. Um, what, so but I make devil, all deviled devil, eggs. devil meat, right? The underwood is that? That's not spicy. That's just cooked to hell, right? I like that stuff too. I like candy. Uh, I've never encountered that in my life, so I wouldn't have an opinion on it. Potted but, uh, meat. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I would hope yeah. that I would hope that anything with deviled as a, as a. Uh, uh, adjective would be spicy because you know heaven hell yeah you know uh, brimstone all that he's, he's not here but I'm gonna make fun of him uh, m- our man John with his uh, Fra Diavolo pasta when I saw it I was like oh man I'm back in the 80s I love Fra Diavolo so good yeah, yeah yeah oh man I yeah 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 with you on that okay so I've got a tried and true recipe tried and true method um, I made them last week and the filling broke mm. like it was not emulsified it wasn't unservable but it was definitely broken. Um, and I think that the one difference with this particular batch is usually when I'm peeling them and scooping out the insides, mm-hmm. um, a couple of the, the whites will break. And when I, when I make this, I make it in a food processor, like the filling goes in a food processor. Right. Um, I trim them so that they stand up nice and straight. And all of the egg white trim and the broken egg white goes into the filling as well. It all just gets blended in there. Right. Um, this time, I didn't have any broken eggs, so there was less of that egg white in there. But I'm still trying to, like, scratch in my head figuring out how this could, stuff could have broken because it's a freaking lecithin bomb between, you know, the egg yolks, uh, the mayonnaise, Dijon, a little bit of sriracha. Um, and I do a, just a little bit of extra virgin olive oil in there as well, but I'm just trying to figure out how the heck I broke this stuff. I don't, <laughs> I don't know because all of those things, like— each one of those things is like, I will not break. Like each one of those things, yeah. mustard's like, I'm good. Mayonnaise is like, I'm good. Unless, did you use yeah. your own mayonnaise or did you use like, are you going to Hellman's and you're bringing out the best? Or wait, no, are you east of the Hellman's line? I mean, west of the Hellman's line? Uh, uh, it's I'm called, a fan what, of the, uh, yeah, what's it called out there? It has a different name. We have Hellman's. Okay, then you're on. We've on, got Hellman's. You're on our side. You're on our side of that line. It's like I guess it's like west of the Rockies. Yeah. Hellman's is called something else. Anyway, really? Uh, yeah, but are you making your own mayonnaise? Because that could be the culprit. Mm. No, not in this case. I usually yeah. for there there would be an instance where I would make a homemade mayonnaise, but for something like deviled eggs, you know, I'm just yeah. I've got the nice three pound uh, container from Costco sitting in my fridge perpetually and then a backup down in my garage yeah, all the so time. So that is not going to break. Like literally the, like, yeah. that is the bulletproof mayonnaise and then you take egg yolks, mayonnaise and mustard and fundamentally in any ratio should not break. You know what I mean? Like that's, there, a, that's is, like the Negroni of not breaking 
Like that's like you know right. what I mean? It's I don't understand. Is like, there any is there is there is there any way to bring it back? Like if I added a couple drops of water to it or something like that, would that help? I I mean more. Or maybe yolks? I just needed to, maybe I just maybe maybe blend it longer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know what would have happened. I mean, unless like unless like you like blanked out like unless like some sort of like marvel blip was happening while you were adding the oil and you just sat there going gliggity 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 and then like no, we're like there no. for like an hour you know what i mean no 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 i've got it so i i you'll appreciate this so i the i do everything in metric and everything is scaled to whatever the quantity of egg yolks is so the first thing i do is i measure out the egg yolks and then i crunch the numbers from my master recipe to make it work and i actually do all of the um, filling ingredients into the bowl before I put it in the food processor, and then I just like process it till it's smooth. Yeah, I don't so, understand uh, what's no going problem. on here. Yeah, I've never yeah. had this happen, so I don't know. And when you say broke, like full broke, like chunks of like liquid and like and like oil in between. No, it, no, not quite. It was it was just um, there was like um, it was kind of greasy around the edges, like you mm. could see where some of the oil hasn't hadn't been fully emulsified into beat, it. Beat a couple like more said, egg yolks into that. You know, you know, egg, beat some more egg yolks and salt into that. See if it gets pipeable. See if some. Are you a chive okay. or a paprika or chive and paprika? Neither. What are you? Uh, the standard recipe I have that is very easy to add stuff to. I almost always will put some like fresh herbs or a piece uh-huh. of candied bacon or something on top of it or a pickle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but the base recipe is uh, mustard, Dij- uh, Dijon. Mayo, mm. onion powder, garlic powder, mm. sriracha, mm. olive oil, mm. and then a little bit of salt, and then like a little bit of cayenne pepper too in there to make it give it that kick. Yeah, yeah. Well, also the cayenne, you know, that's in the seventies. That's what we used in everything. Like in the seventies, like right. everyone had like they had paprika for the color on top because we always dusted the crap with paprika when you were done. Right. But we all like when you like everyone would specify cayenne pepper. You know what I mean? Like that was the, right. and so I feel like deviled eggs is like even pre-70s but i mean it was going hardcore in the 70s like deviled egg was like i kind of miss them i wish that they would happen more often you know what i mean oh yeah i did them uh well the reason that it sort of started was that i do i do private chef work sometimes so i did, I did like an in-home five course wine pair dinner appetizer hour the whole shebang and uh, all of this super seasonal thoughtfully curated thoughtfully and lovingly prepared and presented you know and every all that anybody could talk about were the deviled eggs at the appetizer store yeah. <laughs> it's like I should probably write this recipe down. And so now that I have the recipe standardized, I'd serve them a lot more. Yeah, well, figure, fig- figure out what broke, and then you can, you know, go telling people not to not to do that or whatever, because I'm curious. <laughs> Don't anyway. do what I did. Yeah, yeah. all right. Well, right well, good luck with bringing it back into uh, fine feathers. Let us know what happened. All right, appreciate the insight. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Uh, all right, so back to corn for a minute, if I may. Separate side of corn. So someone asked on the Internet, uh, and I don't remember wit- whether it was Twitter or Instagram or whatever, like uh, any kind of good way to get the silk off of corn. Are you guys still caters w- when the silk doesn't come off the corn? No? Yeah, I'm a- not a hater. I don't care don't that like much. much. If like a little a little silk is left over, like I'm not like whatever. You know what I mean? But like, uh, a, a, like one of the best ways – I do hate shucking corn though and getting silk all over the god dang – counter and everything and then you have to have the big paper remember you're like i don't know if you're like i mean nastasia i guess if you were growing it it's different but we would be like go outside onto the deck with this trash bag and shuck the corn and then don't get the little hairs everywhere remember i don't know if anyone else had this experience but me anyway yeah i've had those experiences i usually just do it at the grocery store what you're that guy? I do, man. I, if it's if, if it's by pound, if you're gonna weigh it, and, oh, and, like I want to get as much corn as possible. It doesn't weigh much. I saw I'm a lady a shucking corn at the supermarket at a Trader Joe's, and I asked the Trader Joe's guy later. I was like, "What the hell?" And he was like, "Yeah, some people do that." I didn't know you were that guy, Joe. Yeah, I'm revealed. Jeez, Louise. Anyway. Uh, so one of the tricks that people use to uh, get all this, people do like various things like they scrub it with uh, with a toothbrush or they use like, uh, you know, um, rubber gloves to like, you know, massage it off or uh, towels or all this other stuff. And one of the techniques is you nuke the corn in the husk and that kind of like cooks and breaks the silk uh, where it attaches and then you cut off the very like the butt end of the corn when you 
pop it out and all the silk stays with the husk and the husk is now in a tube and it's easier to throw away because it's not opened up like a flower. And I was like, this seems like a good idea, except for the fact that I hate using, first of all, my microwave is too small to do anything reasonable in it. And secondly, microwaves don't scale very well, right? So you, a recipe that works for like two pieces of corn is going to be like won't work for four pieces of corn and it's going to be too much for one piece of corn. And it's very hard to figure out like kind of what's going on and get everything equal, equal. Uh, so I just tested last night, in fact, with the corn I bought, uh, steaming it, which I've never done before, steam it with the husk on, which is actually super easy. So you just, you cut off like most of the, you know, the bottom so they're shorter than they normally would be, but they don't cut through to the butt end of the corn. Uh, and steam it for a little bit longer than you uh, than you normally would. So I steamed it for like, I don't know, nine minutes or something like this, uh, you know, uh, nine, ten minutes, and then pull it out and then, you know, get uh, gloves, get like, uh, you know, uh, grill gloves or something, right? Because I have those anyway. So I pick up the grill uh, corn with the grill gloves, and then I, you cut off just like the first row on the butt end and... Pop out the pop out the corn, and you could do as many as you want, as many as you can fit in your pot, because the you know steam doesn't care. Steam's not a microwave. Steam doesn't care how much uh, your load is. So I did uh, I did a bunch that way. I did uh, seven ears yesterday, in you know nine minutes, and it they were super easy, and they came out super clean, and uh, it was actually easier I think than shucking it beforehand. Anyway, corn. Um, Josh S. writes in, we were just given an air fryer, obviously not a fryer. You know, yes, obviously. I, I wish I could find the so – that whoever, like, came up with the term air fryer, I'm sure they're – I'm sure they don't make any money at all. I'm sure they came up with it for a company and the company made all the money and they didn't. It's genius and evil at the same time. You know what I mean? I mean the only thing that's correct about it is air. It does use air. Um, obviously not a fryer, but what are some good novel ways to unlock its potential? Uh, look – these uh these things are great for um I use I use this super convection setting on I don't have an air like a dedicated air fryer but I use the super convection all the time in my Breville uh for things like bacon or anything that you want to get like a little extra brown on the outside uh right away so I mean like just think of it as uh, an impingement oven and not as an air fryer and I think uh you know I think it's going to be good. I don't have anything special, special. It's just if I'm like want the outside crispy, right, and as though I was using a, like a massive convection oven, I use an air fryer. The problem with uh, air fryers is um, you can't overload them because you only have about fifteen to 1,700 watts of power coming out of the wall socket. And so there's a limit to what they can actually crispify because it, there's just a limit because you're evaporating moisture off the surface and that takes a lot of energy. So you can't overload an air fryer and hope to get that crispy outside. But it's, you know, as long as you keep the amount that you're putting in low or if you have a large family, own like five air fryers and have them plugged into five different outlets all over your house, then you can make a lot of stuff. Anyway, uh, Alexi writes in, any experience making key lime pie with... Um, uh, acid-adjusted other juices, not lime. Alexi, no, but that is a fantastic idea. I love this idea, and I am going to try it. I mean, like, I could imagine, you know, a key grapefruit pie. I could imagine, you know, key orange you could do, but I feel that like that's a little more, less interesting. I think key, yeah, a key pineapple pie, a key, I mean, like, I'm going to, like, Alexi, this is a fantastic idea. I'm going to do this for sure. I, you guys like a key lime pie? Oh, man. Yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, key Satsuma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Oh, yeah. 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 Stas, what about you? Are you okay with the key lime pie or no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's no bake. It's so summery. You know what I mean? I also, I don't make it that often, but gosh, graham cracker crust. So good. The best. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Yeah, so easy, so good. Like, whoever came up with that first should, I hope, I mean, they're way dead. They're super dead, but they should totally just pat themselves on the back wherever they are. Just be like, you know what? Good job. Like, if you only ever came up, if, like, the only thing you ever did in life was, like, I did the graham cracker crust, I'd be like, you won. You know what I mean? Anyway. Um, it's kind of like doing the Ritz cracker for, uh, uh, instead of a, a, a breadcrumb. 
Yeah, I gotta try that. But th- it's interesting because it's. Uh, well, I wonder what it's going to be like. Because I mean, because most breadings have like some fat in them, but not a lot of fat. I mean, the Ritz is a buttery cracker. I love the Ritz. Very by the way. buttery. But it's good. What's the other? What's the fake Ritz? The one that's like a Ritz but not a Ritz? Is it Socials? Sociables? No. I, I honestly don't know. No, me either. Uh, now, this person chooses to remain anonymous. It just says from because they have a licking question. Uh, I have a stainless steel water bottle that fails the lick test. And for those of you that don't know, we're not going to get into it. But the question is, is, is there a better implement than your tongue to figure out whether something has residual flavors on it? And are you allowed to ask people to use that instrument to determine whether something is clean or not? I'm not going to get into it. Uh, I was, but that's what the lick test is. Uh, well, actually I can taste it. Uh, I can taste, I could taste the water that I could taste the bottle in the water that sits in it. I don't know what causes flavor, but it has a residual cleaner kind of taste. Even after going through the dishwasher a few times, what are the things other than soap to try cleaning it with to remove that taste? Well, to me, this is a well-known taste because if you've ever worked in like a commercial kitchen with a bunch of stainless, right? What is that? Lark? I don't know. Is that a Lark is an infrared... Um, self-cleaning water bottle. And you like it? Love it. Yeah? Love it. Lark, no U. Q, no U. L-A-R-Q. Like Iraq, but Lark. Uh, exactly. All right. Uh, so if you hand, and I've done this so many times, hand a bunch of, the big bowls are on a problem, but like uh, Bain-Marie's that are taller, so kind of like your jar, and they go through dish, they come out smelling awful, like metal. Uh, and I used to make all of the interns smell the containers to make sure they weren't putting stuff in so that they could, you know, have that metal, metal smell. Same way that, like, you know, back at um, Booker and Dax, uh, the Sambar folks would fill all of the core containers with uh, chopped up scallions, you know, and or shallots or whatever. And if you didn't smell the core container before you put stuff in, you had grapefruit juice that smelled like onions. Remember that, Stas? Oh, so gross. Remember that? Ugh. Ugh. Uh, what I would do, and I think it's a, like, I don't know what happens in a commercial dishwasher that makes it, but when it's hand dishwashed, it, to me, it smells like a scrubby. It smells, it's only with stainless and it smells like a scrubby and sometimes even smells a little vaguely eggy. I, I, I hate it. Um, no, no soap after it's dry and done a rinse with super hot tap water, rinse and dump, rinse and dump. That's typically what I do. And it goes away. I wouldn't scrub it anymore. In other words, or do any of that. It's already gone through its thing. Rinse, dump, hot water should be fine. We also used to make everyone rinse everything with hot water, uh, because if they rinsed everything with cold water, um, sometimes it would smell like chlorine and then that would come through. And I hated that. Like, and you, things like water bottles and Bain Marie's tend to concentrate these smells because they're almost like a wine glass, right? They're they're tall, and when you put your nose in it, you can really smell any flaws uh, on the outside. So yeah, sure, the focus is up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel I feel you, anonymous. Uh, Jacob P. writes in, can I pasteurize something like lemon juice using an immersion circulator without it drastically changing the flavor? No. That's all. Uh, look, some people do. Look, here's the thing: if you heat, if you can come up with a temperature for lemon juice to cook it to quote unquote pasteurize it, right? Not a not a crap ton of stuff going to grow in it because it's so acidic. It's like pH. I forget what it is. So very acidic. Um, if you heat it, uh, I know people that heat it and it does stabilize it, right? So if you boil it, which you're not going to do, right? If you boil it with sugar, that's cordial. And now the flavor is stable for, for me, I wouldn't say forever, but for a long time, like years stable, right? So that is a flavor that I like when it's cordial, right? Now, in terms of, I I do know some people who do lower temperature, as you call it, pasteurization to stabilize the flavor of it, but it doesn't stabilize the same as fresh. So what you, what you do is, is if you come up with a, a procedure, a heating procedure that you can do in a bag or whatever, and you follow that procedure every time and you end up like writing your recipes for that ingredient, it will be consistent from day to day. Right. So that you can win on, but it's not going to taste the same as fresh. So if you get your recipe so that you like it that way, then God bless. Right. Because uh, that's the way that works. Um, 
Jeff writes in, would like to hear uh, more about the density-based method uh, I use. Uh, I mentioned on the live stream a few weeks back about – I did a live stream for the Patreon folks. I got to do that again. That was uh, pretty fun. Uh, about finding out the sugar percentage of liqueurs. So I have something called the – first of all, in 10 years' time, like anyone, any like one with an iPhone uh, you know, and, and like a $500 or $400 piece of equipment is going to be able to measure everything. Like they're going to have – you know what they're going to do? They're going to use uh, they're going to use uh, these uh, infrared techniques along with machine learning, and then like when you you're going to be able to like put a small sample of food onto like a little piece of glass, and it'll tell you roughly what's in it. Ten years, ten years tops, under a grand. You know what I mean? Maybe fifteen. Anyway, but calories for, too. Uh, well, it'll be able to theor- it'll be able to figure all that out, but it's mainly going to be like, oh, does this have any? You're going to say, oh, I don't like Benzoates, and it's going to be able to say there are no Benzoates or there are Benzoates. Or you're like – you're going to be able to ask it if there's any – some sort of preservative or whatnot, and it will figure it out. Or you'll ask it how much sugar is in it, and it will tell you. Like it's going to go that way. It, the tech, there needs to be a little work on hardware and a lot of work on the machine learning, but it's, it's going to happen because I think a lot of people would want to buy that so that there's a market for it. However – uh, right now, Anton Parr, and I have my issues with the Anton Parr Corporation, P-A-A-R, makes something called the Easy Dens, uh, and it's a small portable density meter. Uh, and so what you do is is <clears throat> you just put 10 milliliters of sample through the Easy Dens, really more like six, but you put that through it, and it gives you the density of whatever you put through it, right? So any liquid you can put through it, it gives you the density. Uh, then I use a portable, uh, like a small refractometer that's accurate to about two digits um, after the decimal. Well, it's accurate to one and a half digits after the decimal point. And then I get uh, the refractometer reading and the combination of those two uh, readings I put into a third program called Alcodens LQ that is not free, but you can download a trial of. And given those two numbers, it will tell you uh, what the sugar and alcohol level is. Or if you trust the alcohol number, all you need is the density without the refractometer meeting and reading, and it will tell you how much sugar is in it. So that's what I do. I've also been doing – this is what I've been doing for the past week or so. I have like 100 samples of different liqueurs, and I've tested them all. And I'm in the process of testing the ones that have acid for acid. Uh, and it's not fun. Can I just say it's not fun? Like running a whole bunch of titrations is not fun. It's an unfun thing to do. Um, yeah. Uh, Eliza writes in, Hey, uh, Nastasia and Dave, please help me figure out my mystery cocktail allergy. I love fun drinks, but I've been avoiding most cocktails because I have broken out in hives. Uh, have we answered this? I've broken out in hives several times when I've had sweet drinks recently. The last and worst time, I had an Arnold Palmer with vodka uh, at a beach bar in Florida. I think maybe you're allergic to Florida. Do you think that's what it is, Stas? I think it's Florida. <laughs> no. Uh, I asked, uh, and they used Minute Maid lemon via a soda gun. Oh, my God. Here in Florida, and they're using, like, like lemonade out of a gun. I don't know. Uh, I broke out in full body yeah, that's hives. That's the allergy. That's the allergy. <laughs> yeah. Previously, it's happened to a lesser extent, some redness and wheezing on occasions when I had a gin and tonic, a pina colada, and other fruity tiki drinks. You know, I don't know... Uh, I don't know, but there is like contact allergies with lime and sun, right? So that could like that's something, but this is eating it. I don't really know what this could be. Could be a dirty line from the soda gun. Yeah, but what would cause an allergy in it? Like uh, I'm fine drinking uh, wine, beer, martinis, vodka, tequinjas, uh, uh, sodas, or skinny Tommy margaritas from time to time. I have no other food allergies. And when I get an allergy test, my only other allergy was to cockroaches. Well, then Florida is the land of those giant flying cockroaches. Maybe maybe they're living in that gun. Palmettos. Mm, palmetto bugs. Man, I hate a palmetto bugs. Is it just a sh- – I've never heard of an alcohol plus sugar allergy or is there a specific ingredient I may be able to avoid? I don't know. Although I found a recent uh, allergy uh, thing. Some some things contain hidden allergens. It's not like listed. So like one of my favorite products is Cap Course. I love Cap Course, which is uh, – it's like a Mistel fortified with uh, with uh, um, neutral spirit and uh, quinine. And it's like, you know, from Corsica. It's French. It's delicious. But the red has a nut, uh, nut husk infusion in it. And it's not listed on the label. So my stepfather had an allergic reaction. So there could be something you had. To th- I would look into this. Maybe it's a lime situation and that you got lime on yourself at the same time. And then, you know... Uh, 
and then got in the sun. I don't know. I, I'm gonna. If anyone else that has anything else, uh, ask me. Uh, Lee writes in. Uh, hey. Uh, I'm a junior walk chef at a one-star Chinese in London. I've been listening to Cooking Issues every morning while opening for the past eight months, and uh, many thanks for the hours of entertainment. Uh, I'm a mere 20-odd episodes away from finishing the shows you recorded and listening with bittersweet anticipation as I approach the end. In case you're still fielding questions, I recall in one episode that you mentioned industrial flavors had isolated the flavor of wok hay and was wondering if there was a particular uh, source you recommend on that. I'm always interested by different people's explanations and definition. Kenji seems uh, so far to be the most convincing, but my exec chef provided perhaps the most amusing wok hay is a scam. All right. It was uh, David Michael, uh, and uh, the person I knew was uh, Julie Snarsky. She's since retired. Uh, they never sold it commercially. She made the wok hay for uh, Jean Georges' chef, Greg Brainin, who I think is still, you know, one of the heads of the ship over there at the JG Empire. But the wok hay, the way they did it was they analyzed uh, a bunch of uh, things that were cooked at high temperatures in woks. And I believe it was uh, uh, overfired oil and metal. Like, so the two things they were doing were, like, the scraping from the wok, so, like, some sort of metal flavor and just, like, really high-fired, uh, like, you know, scorched burnt oil were, like, the things they were adding to add wok hay. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what it is. Anyway, uh, cooking issues. <laughs> <laughs> 